Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. We've all heard about it on the news before. A young mother, maybe with one or more children, and for some reason she snaps. And the next thing you know, there is some horrible tragedy. But what are the warning signs of trouble? Are there ways to address things like postpartum depression or even psychosis before it happens? Who is at risk and how should we be treating it? How can other people identify those people who are experiencing it? Well, we've got some help today. We've got Dr. Sheila Wendler, a psychiatry expert on the show in the studio. We're going to talk about this fairly difficult topic of mothers who kill their children how to recognize the warning signs, and what any of us can do to help. Now, as always, we'll be taking your calls at 941-3689, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And if you or any of your loved ones have ever suffered postpartum depression, we'd like to hear from you and how that affected you, how that affected your family, and what you were able to do about it. Dr. Wendler, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Now, tell me a little bit about the difference between postpartum depression, which is something that, you know, we hear about, we kind of understand, maybe a little bit about. Tell us what that is and then how that differs from postpartum psychosis. Postpartum depression is now called peripartum uh, depression because it's an episode of a mood disorder, a major depressive disorder that starts during the pregnancy or within four weeks of the delivery. The most common symptoms of postpartum, the peripartum depression is uh, difficulty to sleep or sleeping too much, increase or decrease in appetite, significant decrease or increase in weight, fatigue, feeling tired. So these are things that are symptoms of depression, even if you're not in that peripartum time. You know, we mentioned the sleep and the appetite and the weight and the fatigue. I mean, anybody, any gender, if you're depressed, you could have some of those same symptoms. So is there something different about this in the in the pregnant woman or, you know, recently delivered woman? Is, is that level of depression different or is it kind of similar and we just call it something different because of when it happens? It's similar. Uh, the only difference is the time of onset of the, the symptoms. Do you think it's hormonal? Yes, it's related to the hormonal change that happened during the peripartum, uh, postpartum period. So postpartum depression again. You mentioned some of the symptoms. Sleeping either too much or too little. Appetite either too much or not enough. Um, weight either going up or going down. Fatigue, just not having any energy. How often does that get better on its own versus requiring medicine for these peripartum depression people? Well, a patient with a peripartum depression, the, the treatment should be based on the risks and benefits of treatment because there is no, not a single antidepressant that is completely safe during pregnancy. So if the symptoms are significant and the mother is suffering, if she can't sleep, if she's too anxious, she's losing weight, the risk, the benefits for treatment are higher than the risks in this case. So treatment should be initiated. So you mentioned that there's no 100% guarantee that antidepressants are safe. And 
I would think part of that is just because it's not really it's not really safe to say to a bunch of women, hey, you know what, we're going to try this medicine and see if something bad happens to you or your baby. I mean, that's not really ethical. So a lot of the information we have about some of the antidepressants or anti-anxiety medicines are usually gathered from case reports or, or reports of women who are taking these medicines and who do well. There's no sense that it's absolutely harmful. There's just no guarantee that it's 100% safe. That is correct. These studies that show harm from the antidepressant needed to be carefully interpreted because many of these um, so-called harms, such as a congenital malformation, may be caused by a genetic predisposition instead of the medication causing it. So certainly, you know, what you read, you have to really discuss with your psychiatrist or your obstetrician-gynecologist or your primary care provider what would be in your best interest based on your severity of symptoms. So technically, there could be a woman who has pre-existing depression, who gets pregnant, and who might need to stay on that medicine throughout her pregnancy. That's correct. And many of them stay in the medication, and they have children that have no complication at all. So now, other than medication, what other things can be done for a woman who's experiencing peripartum depression? A psychotherapy or counseling is very important. Um, regular exercise, meditation. So those other sorts of things people can do. They don't always have to take medicine if they want to try making time for exercise, meditating, psychotherapy, seeing a psychologist, seeing a therapist, seeing a psychiatrist, just working on the non-medicine options as well. That's certainly, if it helps them, I, I can't see there's no risk in that. That's correct. Okay. How often does peripartum or postpartum depression turn into postpartum psychosis? That's really, you know, when we hear about these episodes in the news, we hear about, you know, a woman drowns her children and, and, and then kills herself or, or something along those lines. It's always shocking. And I always think to myself, God, were there any warning signs? And, you know, I'm just curious, how often do the, do the people who have peripartum depression have postpartum psychosis or is that totally unrelated? You could have psychosis and not have the depression. No, it's totally related. Okay. The psychosis always comes in the presence of a mood disorder. Okay. And postpartum psychosis is considered rare and hap happens in each one to two deliveries in every 1,000 deliveries. So one to two out of every 1,000. Correct. There may be a situation where there's postpartum depression leading to psychosis. Yes, what are these kinds of symptoms? What sort of, what sort of symptoms would alert somebody that a depression is turning into something much bigger than that? When the mother starts to to have preoccupations, significant preoccupations with the infant that can vary from overconcern to frank delusions is one of the signs. Um, co command auditory hallucinations to kill the infant is another symptom. Delusions that the infant is possessed by an evil entity such as Satan and that the child is suffering, is being tormented and needs to be killed by, to be safe, to be saved or to go to heaven. Okay. Now, these would be things that the mother would think themselves. Most of the time. Many times when they are hallucinating, they are talking to themselves at, at the same time and their delusions they may share with somebody else. And if that's happened, if this person is aware of this type of symptoms, he or she should definitely 
urge the mother to seek treatment. What about if, let's go back to just peripartum depression, because I think that if that is a precursor to the psychosis, I would want to go over some of the warning signs of the depression. So that, and we, we talked a little bit about that. But I'd want to know what can people do if you notice some of the depression? Because is there any way to know how many of these women who have postpartum depression, how, what, is there something different? What, what makes somebody who's going through the, the postpartum depression episode have this turn into a psychosis? You mentioned a mood disorder pre existing. Yes, a family history of bipolar disorder. So that's a big one. So if you've got people in your family who have a history of bipolar and you get postpartum depression, you, you should be concerned. Yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, also, sleep deprivation predisposes to postpartum um, psychosis. So sleep deprivation. Well, and I mean, most new mothers, I couldn't imagine they're getting eight hours of sleep every night. I mean, that doesn't sound realistic if you have a brand new baby. But so sleep deprivation to the point where it's... Absolutely more than, you know, I'm only getting three hours a night kind of thing. Yes. Okay. What other symptoms? Uh, Fluctuations in mood that can vary from depression to hypomania or even mania. Um, So not technically bipolar, but kind of and sort of edging in that direction. Yes. Okay. Are there any other family history components that if somebody's deciding, okay, I want to get pregnant and, you know, my sister has had postpartum depression, is that a risk for somebody who says, okay, I want to have a baby myself? Is that a warning sign for women or no? Yes, it could be, could be a, a risk. So this woman should definitely be careful and be aware of any uh, symptoms that initiate. So if you have a family member, that could be a situation. If you have a family member who's had postpartum psychosis... Is that also another risk factor? Yes, it is. Okay. So really, talk to, knowing your family history, knowing who in the family has had a problem could help you, at least to identify if you're at risk for that as well. Yes, that would be very helpful. Okay. Let's talk with Michelle calling in from Kaneohe. Michelle, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for picking up my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you today? Well, okay. My son was born 41 years ago. And I imagine that the um, dialogue has probably changed a lot in advance from when I was pregnant, but I had no idea that postpartum depression even existed. They called it the baby blues. And thank goodness I had people to talk to. I, I was breastfeeding my child, and I had a, I forget what, it wasn't La Leche League, but it was, some consortium of women who got together and had some counseling from other women who were had been breastfeeding, and I was borderline suicidal. My son was also colicky. I was not happy about being pregnant, even though I was married, and there were a bunch of factors, and plus I was dieting like crazy at the time right after he was born because, you know, I wanted my, I wanted my body back fast. And so there was, you know, sleep deprived, you know, all of the things that go on with motherhood. But I would find myself just weeping uncontrollably and just feeling just, uh, just plain crazy. And just having people to talk to to tell me that, hey, you know, 
kind of like if it gets worse, you need to you need to call a counselor, like you had suggested earlier. But just just knowing that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't just playing that doo doo crazy just helped immensely. Well, Michelle, you bring up a couple of good points. The first of which is, you know, we might have called it something different 41 years ago, but it's something that we're now recognizing in the medical community and hopefully being able to provide more assistance. I'm so happy that you had this cohort of a support system of other women or of other people in your life that were able to really help pull you through this. I'm curious, what would you say to someone who might be in your position now if you recognized some of these symptoms that they were experiencing like you had? I would probably tell them a lot of the things that you've already mentioned on the radio. For one thing that I did not mention to you was that I have a lot of yucky psychological things in my family, my family history. I come from multiple generations of suicides on both sides of my family. And my mother and my grandmother were medically diagnosed uh, paranoid schizophrenics. And I was horrified that that could happen to me. And thank goodness it did not. And it has not presented in subsequent generations in my family, like with my nephews and my and my own son. But um, like I said, there there have been there were a lot of factors in my family and. So I would tell women that if they've had factors, like you said, either bipolar presenting or any kind of psychosis or depression, that, you know, talk to somebody. Don't take this on by yourself thinking that, oh, you know, I'm a bad mommy or I'm, I'm just a crazy lady because um, this is going on. You know, that I'm feeling that, you know, I'm not feeling like, oh, I'm just so happy being a mommy all the time. And, you know, all I want to do is stand here and and hold my baby and cry. And I have no idea why all I want to do is sit here and cry. Again, you bring up wonderful points. And thank you for sharing your family history, because that's just like just like Dr. Uh, Wendler was just saying is, you know, family history has a lot to do with it. And if there are people in your family who have experienced other mental mood disorders, this could be a risk. And so you astutely identified that. And again, I'm so happy and grateful for for the support system that you created. And you're right, finding somebody to talk to and most importantly, knowing you're not alone. Dr. Wendler, you've had women come in who have had postpartum depression. What are some of the things that you tell them to help them as they're going through this this situation. You know, Michelle just mentioned that she had other people tell her you're not alone and and no, you don't have to be happy all the time. What are some of the things that you counsel women to discuss or to talk about or to do for themselves if they're experiencing this depression and they're concerned about the psychosis? Yeah, in this, um, the counseling for these mothers is that during this period of postpartum, um, postpartum, the changing mood, changing hormones is significant. So it's normal for the mother to have some mild form of depression, to have crying spells, some difficulty to sleep, um, changing appetite. Many of these mothers feel concer- feel concerned about sharing this information because they believe they will be called bad mothers. But th- those symptoms are common 
And uh, it does not mean that the mother is crazy. Uh, it just means that you need treatment, which may involve psychotherapy or medication. And so in this case, you know, for Michelle, she had her, she had her group of support. They helped her through this. She mentioned a couple of other interesting things. You know, every time you you turn on the news or you get you watch some kind of entertainment show, they're always talking about look at so and so four weeks after they had a baby or six weeks. So you know, Hollywood sets this standard for women that, of course, you know, you have this child, you bounce back to your pre-baby weight, and everything's perfect, and you're happy, and everything's wonderful. Do you think part of that creates a problem? That sort of deception of knowing what's really going on out there for women? Is that is that part of the trouble? I mean, you see everybody else doing better, and why aren't you? Yes, definitely. Uh, this idea that after the delivery, the mother will be all happy with the baby, it's actually incorrect. It's um, not not real. It's normal f- for the, the hormonal changes happen, and um, it's normal for mood changes happen, um, Sometimes going back to normal weight takes a while. It's not immediately. Also, symptoms of fatigue, of lack of energy may be present, and they are also um, part of this postpartum period. All right. We've got Sachi on the line from Kailua Kona. Sachi, welcome to The Body Show. Hi there. What do you have to say about postpartum depression? I just wanted to say that I had a child when I was 20, Okay. And I was in England when I had him, and I came back to the mainland, I mean, back to California. And um, everyone gave me advice, books to read, Dr. Spock. And I was having a terrible time, and what I did was I put my baby in bed with me instead of doing everything they told me to do. And I let him stay in bed with me. And my husband didn't mind at all because we didn't have to get up because I was breastfeeding and our problems went away completely. They just disappeared because the baby was happier, we were happier, it was, we were all getting more sleep, and it, it just solved the whole problem. And I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know if you talk about things like that, but I'd like to just mention it. Well, it's a good thing to mention. I mean, you found something that worked great for you, and you're absolutely right. If you're breastfeeding and your baby's right next to you, well, you don't have to get up. I mean, you know, there's just some logistics to that. And he that... weaned himself, too, when he was about seven months. Well, he now, could... you may have had, like, the perfect scenario, Sachi. I don't know if all women are going to have such an easy time. Baby happy, husband happy, mother happy, weaning themselves. You <laughs> might have just had some really <laughs> unusual, was, great it, experience. You know, the baby was happier. Mm-hmm. The baby was close to me. And it was less uh, upset in the evening. It was right next to me, and I knew where it was. And, it, you know, it took a, a few days to get used to it, the baby being right there. But once, it, you know, you get it's like it, people sleep with their dogs and cats, for God's sake, and you don't squash them. I mean, your own baby, you're not going to squash. Well, I hope not, Saji, because, <laughs> you know, it's that's kind of what we're talking about today in a slightly different format. But it's a it's a good point to make, which is you found a great solution for you. And, you know, Dr. Wendler, what are your thoughts on having babies sleep in the bed with mothers? Is that sort of a personal preference? I mean, I know that there's all these thoughts of have the baby sleep in their own bed and don't have them in the bed with the parents. And some people really feel that way. And yet here's somebody who said, I just went with what my gut said and it worked out great. Yeah, if it, if it works, that's all right. 
Yeah, and it sounds like it worked great for Sachi. She, you know, did fabulous, and so did her baby, and life was good. Yes, she found a perfect solution. Found the great solution for her. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Sheila Wendler. We're talking about we're talking about mothers who kill their children. We're talking about postpartum depression when that can turn into psychosis, and what are those warning signs that maybe we could all observe and figure out a way to intervene. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about postpartum psychosis and go through some of those symptoms and go through some of the details about it. But if you or a loved one has ever experienced this or you have some great tricks on what worked for you, please feel free to give us a call. Join our show at 941-3689. Toll free from our neighbor island friends, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I really like Hawaii Public Radio. I listen to both stations because I feel enriched every time I listen. and I feel like it's never a waste of time. There's always something useful. Uh, Sometimes I'll find that when the reception is going out, when I'm on the North Shore, I'll turn on the side of the road and stop driving and just listen because the program is so useful. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Greetings. This is Gene Schiller, HBR Music Director. You may remember during our last pledge drive that the morning concert birds took a rare vacation from the air. During that time, they found a new talent for travel writing and sent, or you might say tweeted, many postcards from the road. Today they want to share with you news of the spring early bird campaign. They ask that you pledge in advance of our upcoming fun drive so that we may return to regular programming as soon as possible. Call between March 5th and 7th and ask about the early bird reward. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Sheila Wendler. We're talking today about postpartum depression and psychosis. Who does this affect? What are the risk factors? And what can we do to help women who are suffering through it? If you or a loved one have ever experienced postpartum depression or been treated for that or postpartum psychosis, we'd love to hear your story. You can join us at 941 941- 3689, toll free from our neighbor island friends, 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Wendler, tell us a little bit about the true symptoms. We talked just briefly earlier about postpartum psychosis. You mentioned hallucinations. You mentioned delusions. Any other external symptoms that a loved one, a husband, a significant other, a mother, an auntie, a friend could identify that might help them to say, this woman needs help? And if so, what can they do? If they, they notice these symptoms in the mother, they should definitely urge the mother to seek treatment. Um, also, a mother has one episode of postpartum psychosis. The probability that she will have another episode of postpartum psychosis in a subsequent pregnancy varies from 30 to 50%. So it's a very high percentage. So those mothers, if they decide to become pregnant again, they should seek medical advice. And if they decide to go ahead with the pregnancy, they should be very careful to be followed by a physician from the beginning of the pregnancy. 
And these would be women who have a, who have had the postpartum psychosis. This is the one to two out of every thousand pregnancies, the women will develop this postpartum psychosis. Now, how is it that you treat it? The, the treatment is with medication and psychotherapy. The, the treatment of postpartum psychosis is difficult, and the mother many times needs to be hospitalized for treatment, and the mother may need to be separated from the baby for the baby's protection. For how long? As long as the psychosis lasts. So it could be months, it could be years. What is the usual duration of time for postpartum psychosis? How long does it last? Without treatment, it can last for a long time. But with treatment, it can last from uh, three to six months. So when you say a long time, it could be years. Yes. The psychosis can just continue. All right. We've got Jordan on the line from Kalihi. Jordan, welcome to The Body Show. Hello again. What can we do for you today? Well, I wanted to bring up um, in the discussion, I've heard a lot of um, medical solutions, uh, risk factors that how um, does the support system that a mother may have, the family, uh, come into play uh, with regards to uh, helping with postpartum depression? Oh, it's like essential and key, Jordan. We heard Michelle call earlier from Kaneohe, and she was talking about how 41 years ago, they didn't call it depression, they called it baby blues, and lucky to her, she had this unique group of support friends and family who helped her through it. You know, I'm curious, Dr. Wendler, what role do you think family and and friends have as far as helping somebody go through postpartum psychosis or postpartum depression? How important is it to have that family core of support for that patient? Of that's the psychological support is extremely important um, to let the mother know that they are not crazy, they are sick, and there is people to help them. There is people that understand and love them. And also um, to have people to help her with the child if she can. Sure, maybe child care. Say, hey, I've got a kid or two. Bring your baby over. I'll just bring him into my family for a while and let's help you. I mean, I think even that, Jordan, could be very helpful. What What were your concerns or, you know, have you ever known somebody who's experienced this, Jordan? I, say, I, I mean, I certainly have. Um but another issue I want to bring up is just the societal pressure of the woman to be the uh, single caregiver to the infant child. I mean, what are your opinions on, say, companies offering paternity leave for fathers so that they can be there for uh, their wives after they first have a child? Oh, personally, I'm all for it, Jordan. I think, you know, women have fought for equal rights for so long that we have been saying we want to have equal pay, which I think is absolutely excellent. We want to have maternity leave. I think it should be paid, first of all. But I also agree, paternity leave. You know, let's face it, you're right. Why should the woman be the only one who's given the ability to stay home after a child is born? What about the fathers? What about the significant others who want to be part of that child's life and want to be around the first 12 weeks? Dr. Wendler, I'm curious, have you ever had a situation where... And I'm sure you've 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 treated people in this in these circumstances where the father has to or wants to take time off to help the wife who's having these symptoms or who's who's having the depression or the psychosis and he wants to help out and maybe stay home with the baby. I'm sure that would be great if they could do it. Yes, definitely. Um, paternity leave should exist. 
Yeah. It's amazing to me that it doesn't, to be honest. I mean, it does, but limited. You know, women can have up to a certain number of weeks. Men are like, okay, well, you can have the weekend, buddy. And I'm like, wow, really? That's not very nice. Yeah, I believe fathers should have the same amount of time than the mothers. In some should. countries they do, just not ours. Yes, that's correct. Okay. All right, Jordan, what other thoughts did you have? All right. Well, thanks for calling us. I'm a big supporter of paternity leave. I think it's really important, not just for the father, but also for the family unit and for for any significant other. I mean, if if it's, uh, you know, same sex couple and somebody has a baby, there should be the ability to have your partner there during that time. I don't see why we have as a society accepted the fact that that's not considered allowable for a majority of employers. It's just boggles my mind, Dr. Wendler. I don't know about you. Yeah. Uh, you too. Yeah. Yes, me too. Because <laughs> that would be a huge support. I would imagine that if a woman was starting to have postpartum depression, but her partner was home helping to support her, would wouldn't make, that be wonderful? Would, wouldn't that help with the symptoms? Definitely. It would make it much easier. Many hands make lighter work, really. Correct. Yeah, yes. Right. All right. Well, we're on, a, we're on our own little bandwagon here. We've decided paternal leave is awesome, and they should get it as well. So, okay. Let's talk with John from Waikiki. John, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, and you just covered the first part of my two-part question because I was interested in the role of the husband or the um, the, the male partner, uh, especially in an age, uh, my children were in their late 40s, but when my son had his daughters, um, again, it was much more we're having a baby, not just you, and we're working at this together. So in terms of, of, of postpartum difficulties, um, wouldn't, wouldn't that be very useful if they continued that, that we're having a problem together, not only you? The second part of my question, though, was related to, to whether this is um, particular to certain cultures, do you know? Um, uh, again, my, my wife growing up in Thailand ne- never heard of, of anything like postpartum depression. Uh, maybe it was because they, they just didn't want to talk about it. But, um, again, I'm wondering from the doctor's experience, is that, is that um, particularly uh, applied to, to, to different cultures more than others? Great question, John. Dr. Wendler, you're from Brazil. Yes. Do women in Brazil get postpartum depression? Yes, they do. Do they talk about it? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, John, you know, we had a caller earlier. Um, poor Michelle, I hope you're still listening from Kaneohe. I keep I keep using you. But she said 41 years ago, we didn't even call it that in the U.S. We called it, quote, baby blues. Uh-huh. And so now we're recognizing this could be a medical condition and providing some more treatment for it. You know, I know that in other countries, there may be more of a village aspect. Okay, somebody's having a baby, uh-huh. so it happens that their mother, who is a stay-at-home to help take care of the her daughter having the child and the baby. You know, there might be a little bit more of a family unit at home available in a similar, you know, same roof household to help out. But it sounds like it's it's not a cultural thing. What do you think, Dr. Wendler? Do you think it could happen to anybody? Some of us call it that, some of us don't. But do you think there's any sort of genetic cultural variation or is it just hormonal? Pregnancy hormones, they decline when you give birth and you know, everybody's brain is somewhat similar, and they could all experience it no matter where in the world. Oh, yes. Anybody can experience anywhere in the world, for sure. Um, takes a village to raise a child. So in some cultures, yes, the paternity leave is easier than in the U.S., and um, the, the help of the 
extended family, uh-huh. it's much more present than in other countries. All right, John, any other thoughts? No, no, th- thank you very much. But, uh, again, I, I think in the role of we're having a baby together, um, there's a male responsibility to participate in that if there is a problem. I think that's a great idea. You're right. Sheila, you were thinking the same. Yes, absolutely. I love, John, what you said, which was, you know, we're having a problem, not not my wife is having a problem or my girlfriend or my significant other, but, hey, we as a couple having a baby are having a problem with depression. And, you know, by accepting that and acknowledging it, John, you are a man of the new millennium. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on, uh, on The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Sheila Wendler. And we're talking about postpartum depression and psychosis. If you or a loved one has ever experienced this or had some concerns, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Wendler, you mentioned that, you know, with postpartum psychosis, if you've ever had it, you're at a significant risk for having it again, 30 to 50% or so. Yes. How... Can somebody who's experiencing this, maybe having the delusions or having the hallucinations or hearing the voices, how can they have enough ability to understand that something's wrong? I mean, I often think if you have a psychosis, do you actually recognize it as a psychosis or do you think these things are normal? When you you become psychotic, the... Insight is the first thing that disappears. You don't have any, right? Correct. The, the psychotic person does not have insight of being psychotic. And so other people have to be the ones to identify this. Yes. And say, hey, there's something going on. Now, what about in-laws or, or sisters or brothers or aunties or uncles? What are some of the signs that somebody else could see in the mother that would help them to know that this woman is having some problems and psychosis is coming. What could they notice if they're not showering, if they're not bathing, if they're not cleaning themselves or the house? Or is there anything else that, that people could physically see that would help to give him a warning sign or a clue? Yes, declining um, hygiene is one big sign. Declining caring for themselves, in grooming themselves, um, in feeding themselves uh, or if they are talking to themselves or you feel like they are out of contact with reality, they are talking about things that make no sense, those are signs that something's quite wrong. What about teachers? I mean, I wonder if, if a woman has several children and some of them are school age and they're going to school and the young kids are, are saying something about their mother, is there, is there anything, or even teachers of the other older siblings, is there anything that somebody else totally unrelated to the family could identify that could help there to be a reason to look into this situation? I mean, I'm not trying to give teachers who already work extremely hard any more work to do. I'm not suggesting it's their fault they don't see things. But, like, for, for a total external observer, maybe seeing some older siblings, anything that they could notice I mean, to me, it just sounds like you hear about these cases on the news and it's like this young mother and she she has three children and she drowns them all. Or, you know, she drives them into the the river in, in a car and then claims they're kidnapped. And I mean, these young children die. Is there anything that anybody else could do to stop that? Or does it really rest in? 
the person themselves recognizing something's wrong. How often do we see on the news that the fathers are interviewed and go, I had no idea this was going on. And and how can people hide it? I mean, is that, I guess it's more common than I would think. Yes. Um, when do you notice a change in behavior of the mother? Like what kind of behaviors? Like what would happen? Let's say if um, um, she stopped caring for the older kids, so the kids go to school with poor hygiene, uh, with um, not enough clothes in the winter, or if they share with the teacher or with their colleagues something about the mother talking about Satan or talking something that is out of contact with reality um, could be some of the signs. So something totally strange and out there. Maybe the older siblings, they're dressing themselves and picking their own clothes and they may not be as thoughtful about it as as their parent might be. So, okay. So they might pick up something in what the person says or, you know, mommy said something really strange about Satan the other day and that could be a sign of concern. Yes, that's correct. What things might a a father notice, a father of the baby notice? You know, change in the behavior of the mother. Um, again, changing hygiene in um, her sleep pattern and losing weight or gaining too much weight, um, talking to herself, uh, changes in her usual routine. So something totally out of the ordinary. Could you have a pregnancy for like three children and then your fourth pregnancy? You have postpartum psychosis. I mean, you were normal. Everything was fine. You had three other children. Then along comes number four and woohoo, something happens. Does that occur as well? Yes, that can happen. It's less... Um, common than in mothers that had a previous episode or mothers that have a family history of bipolar disorder. However, it still can happen. Does age play a role if you're having children when you're older versus when you're younger? Is there any age predisposition to having more likely of having these mood issues occur because you you had a baby younger or you had a baby older? Um, Young mothers are at higher risks. Younger mothers are at higher risk. Yes. And any association with using, you know, if somebody's trying to get pregnant, using fertility drugs, any any association with using a lot of hormones before you're pregnant with developing these problems afterwards? I don't believe so. I never saw that in the literature. I think if there was, it would probably be well known. So the answer be- to that's probably no. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Sheila Wendler. She is a psychiatrist specializing in women, postpartum depression, and postpartum psychosis. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of these signs and symptoms and talk a little bit about things we can all do to support the new mothers in our community. If there's, And also talk about you know parents of older children, because this is not something that just happens when the baby's first born, this could happen as children get older as well. If you want to join our conversation, if you or a loved one has ever experienced or know anybody who's experienced postpartum depression or psychosis or have some ideas on how to avoid such a thing, some tricks that you might have learned, like our friend Sachi from the Big Island, you can definitely give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. 
On the next Humankind, we consider the effect on youth of media violence and a culture that preaches rampant consumerism in our conversation with child development expert Nancy Carlson Page. Also, a look at the challenges for tens of millions of Americans with a family member who is alcoholic. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. On New Letters on the Air, Nikki Giovanni expresses the rich storytelling culture of the Appalachians where she was born. Because we're in the mountains, whether black or white, the way that we communicate is through stories. And so I grew up in a storytelling tradition. Nikki Giovanni continues that tradition while teaching at Virginia Tech. Listen to her poetry and stories on the next New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Sheila Wendler. We're talking today about postpartum depression and psychosis. And so far, we've been hearing from quite a few folks who have either concerns about it or have some ideas on how, you know, families and communities can help women who are having children and help to make sure that child is raised in a safe environment as much as possible. If you or a loved one have some thoughts on what to do or you've ever been through this yourself, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free from our friends in the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about postpartum psychosis and some of the warning signs and what other people might notice. In just a minute, we're going to talk about what happens in situations where the child is growing up, first, second, or year of life and something still happens and how this how this can also be identified and, and how we can help in that scenario. But before we do, let's first talk with our friend Sherry from Kailua. Sherry, welcome to The Body Show. Oh, hi, is it me? It's you, Sherry. It's all you. Hi. What can we do hi, for you? Dr. Kozak, um, thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. I've been listening and I guess I want to make a comment and share my experience. Please do. Um, my sister-in-law... Uh, had a history of depression, and uh, she had three children. I was very young, and I recall that she had, you know, all the symptoms of postpartum depression. But it didn't really get worse because she was surrounded by family. You know, where I in the Philippines, it's not uncommon for the whole family to be together, even if the you know, they're married, they have kids, still live in the same household. So there were a lot of support, not just the family, but the church. Interesting point, Sherry, that, you know, in other cultures, sometimes it's not just your immediate family that helps you, but it's also your religious community as well. Very good point, Sherry. Thanks for bringing that up. And for myself, I have to speak for myself. I was a single mom at age 18. That's brave of you. Good work. And everything turned out well. Excellent. And and I was also surrounded by family and the church. And I wanted to make a comment on, I don't ever remember being sleep deprived. You don't Uh, remember being sleep deprived? When when my child was born. One of the callers commented about, you know, having the child to sleeping with her and her husband, that's the only way that we had the baby. You know, we always have the baby next to us. So baby cry at night, 
just pull out your breath and the baby's happy and you both fall asleep. Um, <laughs> well, Sherry, I mean, it sounds it sounds like something natural that a lot of women would do. And yet, I'll be honest, you, you hear about a lot of the different child-rearing books and they all talk about not doing that very thing. I think there's two big camps of, of thought in that situation. Some people who say, absolutely, why would you separate the mother and the baby at night? It doesn't make sense. And another group that says, no, that's a horrible thing to do. So I think there's two very opposing views on that. But I mean, in some cases, if that's like we talked earlier to Sachi, hey, if that's what worked for you and that made it easier for you and that was good for you, then who's to say not? Right, which brings me to another subject. For some, it may not work, you know, for some uh, people who have history of maybe drug abuse or alcohol use or still doing them, you know, while they're raising their babies. I don't think it's a good idea for the baby to sleep with them. Very good point, Sherry, is that, you know, some people who might be unfortunately hooked on drugs or under some influence of some other sort of a substance, yeah, it might not work for everybody. Absolutely correct. Agreed. Right. And there is another thing that I wanted to make a comment on. Well, there is a, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a very good uh, resource for people who are looking for uh, support and information on any type of mental illness, including postpartum depression. Awesome. You're talking about NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Right, right. And the last thing I wanted to mention is one of the callers mentioned we are having a baby. That is absolutely true. Um, my son-in-law is very involved in, um, you know, my daughter just had a, a, their second child just a month ago, and he's very, very involved in that. And I myself as a grandma is, is, is involved. I wish they would, you know, that, that my work would let me take some time off to help um, support the caring for the, the children. Well, you're absolutely right, Sherry, and you bring up another point, which is that whole concept. You know, in the Philippines where you grew up, you might have had a different experience where the family all lives under the same roof, and, you know, the grandmother's there, maybe great-grandma is still alive, and mom is there, and dad is there, and uncles and aunties and all this sort of community support, in addition to having religious support as well. And things may be different now that people move away, move into their own houses, kind of have their own space. You brought up a really good point, and I want to talk with, with uh, Dr. Wendler about that. Resources for help. You know, Sherry mentioned the National Alliance for Mental Illness. That's a place where people can get some information. If somebody is really concerned, they're, they're wondering about postpartum depression, they're wondering about their risk factors, or their loved one is wondering about postpartum psychosis, where can they go to get information? They can ask their physicians. Go to their doctor, okay. Yes. Um, sometimes online you can find good information about it. Excellent. And they could even just say, I'm going to see a therapist and ask questions and find out if I'm at risk. Yes, correct. I think there's still a stigma for a lot of folks thinking about psychiatry or psychologists or therapists. But really in this day and age, if it's what's best for you, then you should pursue it. There's no excuse not doing so because, you know, if it's what you need. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Nobody judges the person who's high blood pressure and says, you know, you have to go take those blood pressure pills just because of that blood pressure issue. I mean, we accept that as a medical condition. You treat it, you get it better. Same thing with postpartum depression or psychosis. It's a medical condition. Treat it, 
and you will hopefully get better. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about some of the older children. What do you do if there's a situation where maybe a mom has two or three kids at home? They're all, you know, ages two, three, four, or something along those lines. What happens then? Because there can still be situations where maybe it's still postpartum psychosis. Maybe it's my kids are older psychosis. I don't know. But how does that happen? Usually in case where the children are older, the most common cause of um, child homicide are in case where the mother experiences major depression and suicidal ideas and decides to take her life and decides to they don't want to leave the, their child or children alone in a cruel world as they see through their depressed eyes. So they may kill the child first and then attempt to or commit suicide. So really they're thinking they want to leave this earth and I don't want to leave my child so I'll just take their life as well. That is correct. I mean, I just, I, it's just hard to to conceive of how difficult this mental illness is for for women in this situation, that they feel their only solution is to to kill their family, that they've worked so hard to to make and grow and take care of. And I mean, for people out there who really do have that depth of depression, they have to get help. Oh, absolutely. They need to be on medication. They need to have psychotherapy. They need to take this seriously. They need and to they take, need to get help. Yes, that is very important. Is there ever a situation where someone could help themselves? I mean, are there any self-treatment techniques? You mentioned earlier exercise and meditate and, you know, try and get enough rest. For somebody who's concerned about heading in that direction, maybe they have a family history of mental illness. They've never experienced it, but they're certainly concerned because there is that risk, what are some of the things that they can do to protect themselves and their family? Um, well, the, the daily exercise, for example, the meditation, psychotherapy is very uh, helpful. And um, a good diet, and normal hours of sleep. I mean, in the perfect world, we'd all get the, exactly the right foods we need, as much sleep as we need all the help we need, jobs that are that are so flexible with their hours, perfect kids. I mean, this doesn't happen in the real world. There's lots of different challenges that people may experience. So if you know of, of a young mother who might be struggling, having troubles, that's also a risk for child abuse. I mean, in any situation, from whatever angle, from mothers or fathers or significant others, all that stress in a household can lead to other issues that may not lead to death, but could lead to abuse. Are there things that loved ones can do that, that can help? I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, cook the meals, bring them, you know, games for the kids or, or play games outside or babysit or what could somebody who who's not directly involved in that family do to help out? Oh, helping to take care of the kids is very important. Um, help with some tasks of the house. So the, the mother doesn't feel like she needs to do everything alone. Um, sure, come by and say, you know what, I've got a couple of extra hours. Let me help clean your house for you. Or, you know, let me help do some laundry for you. Or 
you know, let me watch the kids while you go shopping or take yourself to the beach or go swimming or go do something for yourself. So really, any one of us could play a role. Yes, absolutely. Give the mother some time for herself to recuperate from the exhaustion um, of taking care of all the kids and the house. It's very important. And the father can play the role and do the same thing. Oh, absolutely. And grandparents and extended family. Yes. Okay. Now, when we talk about these sorts of situations, you mentioned um, depression and women who who get into this point where they, they develop the psychosis. Is the treatment most often medication? I mean, in some cases, you know, I love to say that you don't have to take medicine all the time, but it certainly sounds like there may be certain conditions where really you just have to accept that medication might be necessary. What sort of medicines are we talking about for women who are having this psychotic episode? It's not just a standard sort of antidepressant. I would imagine there might be something more to it than that. Yes. Usually in this case, antipsychotics need to be used. So these are medicines you would take every single day? Yes. Not forever, but during this defined period of time? Yeah. During the time of the psychosis needs to be taken daily. And then would you need at that point to be on maintenance medication so that you don't develop problems? Like at that point, maybe if you're not on antipsychotic medicine, maybe you could go to taking something like an antidepressant? Yes, this case varies. Usually if a, a person had three or more episodes of depression in their lifetime, the advice is to continue taking antidepressant for life. So three or more episodes of depression yes. at any age, major depression, and you probably should stay on medicine from this point onwards. Yes, that's correct. What does the medicine actually do? Do we know? The antidepressant help to um, normalize the neurotransmitters in the brain that uh, during the depression are um, not in order. So the Antidepressant can like help to block the um, things like serotonin, correct. dopamine, yes, norepinephrine. Some of these we call them neurotransmitters. They're the little chemical messages from one nerve to the next that sort of tell the body and tell the nerves what to do. So the medications actually help to balance those levels of neurotransmitters. Yes, and that generally helps with mood. That helps with the mood, definitely. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, when we think about when we think about using antidepressants, I think the brain for a lot of the brain functions is still a bit the unknown. You know, we really haven't it's uncharted waters. We just haven't completely gotten a way to understand exactly how the brain functions with different neurotransmitters, but we know that if you take certain medications that increase the availability of these chemical messages from cell to cell, that that you know, people feel better. They act better. They they don't have the severe depression symptoms that they had previously experienced. If if there's a woman who's had postpartum depression after every child, should she consider, since there's been, let's just say, two or three children, should she consider treating this as soon after she gives birth as possible to try and prevent an episode? Is that possible? Yes, absolutely. If she had that many uh, episodes before, she should um, start taking the medication as soon as she gives birth. What about postpartum psychosis? Should you start on antipsychotic medicine if you've 
Every pregnancy, you've always had this. Should you automatically start on it? Not until you develop the psychosis. So with psychotic, with, with psychotic episodes, you don't treat those until they happen. That's correct. But with the depression, you could proactively treat that if you knew that you were starting to get into that situation again. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's, it's been a heavy discussion today about women and postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. When you see people in the office, how often do you wind up treating them for these conditions? Or is this a relationship that you keep and establish for as long as they're willing to be seen? Yes. Um, if they have depression or psychosis, they should have a continuous treatment. Um, medication is necessary as long as they have significant symptoms. And many times, uh, continue counseling or psychotherapy um, with time, you can even decrease the, the antidepressant or the medication and even stop and continue with the counseling only can be very helpful. Sure. So even if you're not taking medicine, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to seek help. Psychotherapy, you can still see a psychiatrist to do that. You could see a psychologist to do that. Anybody who performs that type of approved psychotherapy could help you even without medicine. Yes, absolutely. Should the goal be to be on the lowest dose necessary to help somebody through this, or does the dose of antidepressants not really make a difference? If you're on them, you're on them. If you're not, that's okay. You know, when I think of things like cholesterol, we dose it to treat a certain number, to treat a certain, you know, bad cholesterol level. Do you do the same thing with antidepressants? Yes. Um, every person responds differently to an antidepressant. So some patients need a lower dose, while patients need a much higher dose to have alleviation of the symptoms. Absolutely. Any, any final thoughts on issues with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis? What sort of advice would you give to, to mothers who are concerned that they're heading down this path? What's, what's, the, what's the best thing we could tell them? That uh, treatment is available. Treatment saves lives. So you don't need to go through this suffering without treatment. Seek treatment. Um, You're not alone. You're not alone. Yes. Yeah. Interesting that we had somebody think it may be a cultural thing. And yet, in fact, I think, you know, like our one guest caller said, 40 years ago, we just called it baby blues. We just called it something else. But it still existed. We recognized it. We just treated it in our own way. And maybe those treatments are things that we need to look back to and, and incorporate these days as well. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for sharing your expertise expertise with us today on The Body Show. You have a lot of information, and this is a very difficult topic, but I'm glad that we had enough information to provide for folks, and we had a lot of interest, a lot of callers who had some great suggestions. So if there is anybody out there who's concerned and wants more information, don't forget about the National Alliance for Mental Illness, or NAMI. You can also get more information and take a look at us on Facebook. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on Hawaii Public Radio, follow the links to The Body Show. We'll post some information on the Facebook page tonight for those who might have some concerns and want to get more information about what to do for a loved one or even for themselves. Thanks again to Dr. Shayla Wendler. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here Monday at 5 on The Body Show. We'll see you then.